So anyway, so I'm going to talk a little bit about arts today um, and just kind of how that dovetails with uh, the series that we've been in. The series that we are in, we've been in for a couple months now, is the Building of the People of God series. And I was tasked with talking through Numbers 11, 1 through 15. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit of the magnificent and the mundane, speaking specifically to our lives, the magnificent points of our lives, and then the mundane aspects of our lives and how we kind of wrestle through those things. So recently I looked up the definition of what an artist is, and what I found was interesting. An artist is somebody who creates things, right? They create something. They create paintings. They create drawings, sculptures, ceramics, textiles, whatever the art is, they create it. But what I found was interesting in the definition, it almost pointed to the end result being more important than anything else. So the end product of the artist right, the, sculpt, the sculpture or the painting that was made ends up becoming more important than the process by which it was made. And what I'm proposing is that the process of the artwork has much to do with the end product that it does just looking at the end product by itself, right? Because what we're not seeing is the why of the artist. When we look at an end painting at a, at a gallery or a museum, we're only seeing the end product. We're not seeing everything that went into that process, right? And what the artist does, he mixes, he or she mixes the why. Uh, that's a mixture of the process and the intent of the artist, right? And what that does, it helps to build out a better definition in the end with the final product that we're seeing on the wall, right? Because then what happens? That opens up our understanding just this much more about why the artist did it. And that ends up painting a greater picture for us. So in essence, this whole process of looking at the creative process from start to finish, it's more about the journey than it is just the destination, right? And I think a lot of us can kind of resonate with that with our own Christian walks as well. It's not about just the destination. It's about the journey in which God is bringing us through in order to get to the end. And the end being God's purpose for us and God's intention for us individually to experience his glory and his grace as we're moving along. Um, so as an artist myself, I've studied painting and drawing. I currently show work in different places. Um, but the important thing for me is narrative. So I'm trying to grapple with some sort of story, some sort of narrative to be able to translate that and tell my audience a story right? That's what narrative is. So what's that story I'm trying to tell? Well, what I find in my own personal work is that the mundane or commonplace aspects of my life that I kind of wrestle through make the most exciting stories, right? These things that are commonplace to me or become familiar, right? What happens to things when they become familiar to us? We stop looking at them, right? We don't notice the, the tree that we walk past every day and how beautiful it is. We don't notice the flower or we don't notice the rock or we don't notice even the, what are the bugs that are plaguing our spotted lanternfly? You know, if we didn't know anything about the end product of those, it's a destroying trees. But when you look at those, those things are beautiful, right? They're gorgeous looking bugs. You should still kill them because we don't want to end our trees, but... <laughs> That being said, it, we, we end up missing the familiar things because we just want to push them aside. Yeah, 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 I've seen that before, I've seen that before. And we just keep going on to the next thing, right? So my job as an artist is I'm trying to capture some of those things to be able to put them down on canvas or paper or wood, steel, whatever the art medium is, whatever the discipline is, I am trying to create a story so that my audience is able to kind of walk along with me and say, well, wait a minute, 
that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful tree. I didn't think about that. Or what, what kind of aspects of that tree that I'm missing, right, that now I can start to say, wow, that really builds my understanding of the world around me in a, in a, in a deeper meaning or a deeper, deeper sense, right? So let's, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, one thing before you put the uh, image on the board. Um, there's a movement called the pop art movement. The pop art movement, uh, like any art movement, is a rejection to the previous canons that came before it, right? Just like parents and, and children, like we reject everything our parents say just because that's just the nature of the flow of life, right? I'm not listening to you because you said it. Right? We do the same thing in art. I'm not listening to your way of painting or your way of understanding the art world and how I should represent images because it's wrong. Well, it might not be wrong, but it's just we're, we just have a natural inclination for rejection. So that's what the pop art movement was. In essence, what it was doing was it was taking uh, the pop art aspect of it was it was taking popular culture imagery, things that we look at every single day that we tend to... Uh, bypass because they're too familiar, right? We push them aside, we say, yeah, 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 we, we've seen that before. But what this art movement was doing was taking these things and putting them together in a unique way to retell a story, to tell a new story using these images that we all can recognize. Um, but how does the artist do this, right? Is it a learned thing? Is it an experienced thing? I don't know. I'm going to leave that up to you guys. But uh, if you can put that image up, there is an artist that uh, Lucinda and I heard speak a number of years ago down in D.C. His name is James Rosenquist. Um, excellent painter. A little bit about James Rosenquist. He uh, painted during the pop art movement in the 1950s and 60s, just died several years ago. Um, but what he was training was, was he was a uh, sign painter. So some of these sign paint signs that you've seen on advertisements back in maybe the 40s or 50s that were hand-painted signs, almost looked like a lot of Leave it to Beaver characters. Are you with me? You're picking up these, right? The Sears Roebuck catalog, the glinting shine off the teeth, use our products. That was his stuff. Like, he would create these images. He would paint these well-painted images to sell products. Well, he connected up with some people in the art world in New York City, started befriending some of these local painters. I'm not gonna throw out names, but just like kind of the head honchos in the New York abstract expressionist scene. And what was happening, they were saying, whoa, you're a really good painter. You should come along and use this skill to be able to tell a story in a different way. So that's exactly what he did. He merged into the art world, kind of uh, ignoring some of the corporate commercial artwork that he was doing, and started using some of these skill sets that he had with painting recognizable objects and start, started to kind of recreate them to tell a new story. So this painting here is called House of Fire. You guys didn't know you were going to be doing an art history lesson today, did you? Well, hold on, because it's coming. No, I'll transition, trust me. This one's called House of Fire, very large painting, oil on canvas. Um, but what you see in there is you see recognizable objects, don't you? You see a, a grocery bag full of groceries, lipstick, uh, a smelting pot full of hot molten metal, a window, all things that we connect with to say, I know what a window is. I know what a grocery bag is. I know what lipstick is. I know what a, maybe some of us don't know what a smelting pot is full of hot liquid metal. But still, the purpose is we all recognize these things. And what he was doing was he was putting them together in a way to be able to retell a story, to tell a story in a different way so the, arti the, art the artist, or the audience rather, can experience this new collection, this juxtaposition between these items in a new, unique way to tell a different story because it comes down to narrative, right? Doesn't God do the same thing with us? 
Jesus does the same thing with us, right? When he enters our life, he starts to redefine some of the things that we interact with on a regular basis, doesn't he? Right? And then what happens is we start to change because, not because things are changing around us, because he's changing how we're seeing the world around us. Right? So he's starting to retell and reshape our minds and transform us into a way of seeing that's truly unique and truly just like Jesus-focused. Right? So Jesus is doing the same exact thing with us. He's reshaping us. He's redirecting our hearts and our thoughts to say, there's something different out there. Don't overlook these little aspects of the world that I've created. Don't overlook the little familiar things. Don't overlook the mundane things as just being mundane. Look at them in a new way, right? It's hard for us to do that in our own strength, but as we'll talk about today, we'll see that God starts to enter in and the work of Jesus in our lives really starts to reshape how we interact with the world around us, whether it's mundane or whether it's magnificent. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we're going to explore this over the next... Uh, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes or so, so we'll get you out of here on time. Um, through the presence of the mundane, right, that the mundane times in our life exist, right? We can all agree on that. So we're going to talk about the presence of the mundane. We're going to talk about the purpose of the mundane, the why, right? Just like the artist talks about the why they created the work ends up creating a greater story in the end. We're going to discuss that today. The purpose of the mundane has a purpose for shaping our minds and our hearts to be more like Jesus. And then we're also going to talk about the precaution of the mundane. This is kind of like a pause, the precaution to say, well, wait a minute, there's, there's probably two ways we can go here. We can go to earthly thinking or we can go to godly thinking. So how do these situations of the mundane in our life point us to either one of those sides? So I'm going to have Bill come up and he's going to read our passage today from Numbers 11, 1 through 15, and we'll go from there. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tabira because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat! We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing! The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic... <sighs> but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Oy. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it with mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. 
And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom like a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Thank you. So we're going to focus on uh, numbers uh, four through seven today, four through six. Uh, there's a lot to kind of peel apart in numbers in, in general, and I think we, for our time today we'll focus on uh, four through six. So let me ask you a question. Uh, who among you this week has had such a week filled with the working of the Holy Spirit that you saw Jesus in every single thing you did and every single person you met? It was super exciting, and just the glory of the Lord was in everything you did this week. No hands. That's all right. First service didn't have any hands either. That's fine. The thing is, I think most of us would truly love to describe our weeks that way, that we saw God in every single thing we do and every single person we met, that we saw Jesus working in every single circumstance. Is he still working even though we don't see him? Yes, of course. But what ends up happening is the mundane portions of our life, the 40-hour work weeks, the going to the grocery store, the uh, mowing of the lawn, the shaving, the feeding the kids, the, oh yeah, I forgot sleep. You got to fit sleep in there too. All of these aspects of life end up creating this, this feeling of just mundaneness in our life, right? God's still working. He's still working in, our around, in and around us, but what's the problem? Are we the problem? Is it a matter of our our gaze being fixed in a different way? We'll talk about this. Let's look at the Israelites. In Numbers 11, 4 through 6, once again, what are they doing? What are they really, really good at? Complaining, complaining and grumbling. So 14 times already in, in this part of Scripture, we see that the Israelites are complaining or grumbling either to Moses or God about stuff that they need or they don't have or we wish we had this. I can say this now freely because my kids, know none of my kids are here. Um, but it's just like children, right? 
It's just like children. If I only had this, I need this. We know as parents what our children need, right? We're not going to give them ice cream at 9 o'clock at night unless you're a bad parent, right? I'm kidding. There's no bad parents. It's just poor judgment, right? (laughs) But they sound like whiny little children. Why? Because they're turning their hearts away to things in their own answers, in earthly answers, and they're not looking to the way God has, is trying to shape them. Because this entire portion of the series that we're in is all about formation, right? We talked about the Israelites being freed, right? Being freed from Egypt and slavery, and God is now bringing them to the promised land, not directly, but he's bringing them through this journey, this 40-year journey of formation. So we have to keep that in mind. God's intention is formation. And it's not only for the Israelites, it's for each one of us. So going back to the story, we see that in this wilderness experience, they're starting to find that things are becoming pretty boring, right? Does it seem like it's pretty boring? So far, they've seen the plagues. God handle all of those. They've seen God move them through the Red Sea. They've seen God show up in all these miraculous ways. How on earth are they still turning their hearts away from him? How? I think if any, of, any one of us were able to see one, even one of those things, we would be so in awe of God's working. And they've seen tons, tons of different ways that God was working. So they start to complain, right? They begin to complain about what they currently have under God. And they start to look fondly at what they had under Pharaoh. So let's look at it a little closely. Verse 5 says they had provisions, right? It says that according to them, it came at no cost. Did it come at no cost? Did their food and provisions that God was providing come at no cost? No. Because what did it cost them? It cost them everything. They They were enslaved. It cost them their freedom. So they were willing to go back over some leeks and some onions and garlic, they were willing to trade their freedom just to have a selection of basically culinary diversity, right? It sounds silly. I used to be a professional chef before the fire department. Uh, Just I I found myself in it, and that's what I was doing. So I find it interesting that they were complaining about all these different vegetables that they didn't have. It makes sense to me, but I'm definitely the type of person that could just open up a can of beans and eat it, and I could eat the same thing every day. It's, it's fine, because it's just fuel for the body, right? But I can appreciate, from a culinary standpoint, the creativity of creating a good meal, and, and maybe that's all they were doing. They were kind of focusing, no. I think they were turning back and saying, well, we want this. We want what we want over what you want for us, God. And is, does that ever work out well? No, it never works out well. So they were trading their freedom. God was giving them exactly what they needed, not the things that they wanted, right? Is there a lesson for us to be learned there? Yeah, definitely. Because I feel like, if I can be honest, there's, there's times during my week that I'm like, I would rather be doing this, but maybe God has something else for me. So do I turn toward the thing that I want or do I turn toward the thing that God wants me to go through? Right? And that's kind of what they were struggling with, and they kept missing the mark on it. It's easier for us to look back and say, the Israelites were wrong right here. But just, I don't want to apply that to my life, because then you'll see all the holes in, in, in my life, right? All the ways that I'm cr- grumbling and complaining, which I hardly do. Right, Lucinda? Yeah. Okay. So we do the same things, right? The mundane parts of our lives 
right? Those, <clears throat> those times of 40-hour work weeks, those times of just going to the grocery store even when you don't want to, those things should point to something. Do they point to us complaining and grumbling, or do they point to us drawing closer to God and pushing deeper into a relationship with him? That's the, the whole idea of the presence of the mundane, right? It exists. The mundane portions of our life exists, but our relationship with God is not conditional, right? It's not that if we do this, then God's going to do this. In the same way that God's saying, well, if you just follow after me in this, in this area, even if your heart's not in it, he's, he's not going to show up in miraculous ways. So we do the same. A few, uh, probably a month and a half ago, I guess, my wife and I just came back from Macedonia. We were serving uh, on a 10-day missions trip. We led uh, about 12 people over there. And uh, what we were finding was that while we were there, we were focused solely on serving the people because we didn't have any schedule to contend with. We didn't have all the daily things that we have here to contend with. We didn't have the mundane portions of our life that were here over there, right? We went over knowing that we were going to serve these people in these ways, and we could solely focus on our our position that God was going to show up because he's working everywhere. He was going to show up in ways that were going to be miraculous. And we were praying that way, right? So we were experiencing that, that entire 10 days, people coming to know the Lord, people, uh, just joy being brought to people's faces. Um, and then we came back to York. This is where I make the comparison between York as the mundane. I'm kidding. But I'm not kidding at the same time. Because what happened, what happened is we were finding that God was working over here, and then all of a sudden now we're back into the rut of everyday life. And wow, doesn't that seem offset? Where we're experiencing life every day in York, and we're like, wow, we, this is nothing like what we were just doing in Macedonia. Like, where's the excitement? Where's the God working and healing and bringing people to Him? Are those things still happening in York? Yeah, they happen everywhere because God's everywhere. He's working everywhere. But the thing was, it's a mindset change for us, for me anyway. It's a mindset change to say, well, God's still working in Macedonia in the same way that he's working in York, Pennsylvania, right? In the same way he's working anywhere in the United States or anywhere in the world. But it was a matter of perspective for me to be able to say, okay, God's working there. He's working here. How am I not seeing his working? Are there things that are blocking me from seeing how God is working in the everyday life, in the mundane portions of my life here in York amidst tough schedules, 40-hour work weeks, all the stuff we have to do? How is he working and how am I not pressing into that? You see, not all of God's kingdom here on earth is exciting. We can agree to that, right? Because none of you raised your hands at the beginning saying, yes, I saw God work in every single relationship and everything I did this week. Right. We can agree that not everything that we enter into is exciting all the time. So how do we move forward from that? I think as believers in Jesus, um, we can make a case that life can't be that exciting all the time. 
or shouldn't be that exciting all the time. And why do I say that? I say that because there's certain things that we have to experience, there's certain things that we have to enter into for God to start to draw our hearts closer to Him. It goes back to the whole idea that we've been talking about in this series of for, formation, um, in this series of, for, series of formation, where God is forming the Israelites in the same way that He's, he's forming us, right? He's shaping our hearts in a way that's unique to His glory, right? So, if we can say that some of these things have to take place for us to wrestle through them, there's got to be a greater purpose for it, right? God's not just in one place. He's in all places at all the time, right? He's creating situations that bring Him glory and bring us to our knees so that we can follow after Him in greater ways. So, when we think about this aspect of wrestling through it, it's not just a... a It's not consistent to life only, right? Because it's also consistent in the Bible. We see it in our life. We see it in the Bible, right? But most importantly, this whole idea of wrestling through the mundane, it's formational. And that's kind of what we're talking about. It's going back to that idea that there's a purpose for all this. So we've, we've talked a little bit this morning so far about the presence of the mundane, the existence of it. We know that it exists because not all of us raised our hands and said, yes, God is working and we see it and every single moment is exciting, right? But it has to have a purpose. So what is that purpose? Why is this happening, right? The purpose of the mundane, we need, to, we need to take a minute and pause, and we need to ask ourselves, why is this happening? Because I think in our culture here in the United States, we're a very knee-jerk reaction culture, right? Am I alone on this? No. We come up with a, something, we come up against something, and what happens? We just make a decision because we're, we're Americans, right? We make a decision. This is what we're going to do. I got the answer. Don't worry about it. I got the answer for me, and guess what? I got the answer for you, too. It's okay. I'll, I'll tell you the right way to go. We're super quick with that. But what ends up happening is traditionally the wrong answer, right? Because we're answering out of earthliness. We're not answering out of uh, a spiritual place at all not answering out of God, godliness, basically. So pausing and asking that question, why? So we talked about formation, this process in Exodus and this process in Numbers. <clears throat> We're seeing God's people go through this formative process. He's shaping them into the people that he wants them to be, right? Because the whole purpose is to get them to the promised land, to be the formative people that he wants them to be at that point. But there's bumps in the road as they go along. Uh, Annie Dillard in her book, The Writing Life, says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. Isn't that so true? So what we were doing, what we spend our time and our attention towards starts to shape us in ways, right? Now, that can be shaped in a good way or that can be shaped in a bad way, right? Because if we spend our time grumbling and complaining, then we're going to be known as what? Grumblers and complainers, right? We're not being shaped into the, 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 the person or responding with that heart of saying, well, I want to be recognized as a godly person. So how do I be recognized as a godly person that doesn't complain and doesn't grumble? Well, then I got to spend time with God. I got to spend time with Jesus. So he's shaping me and develop me, developing me into the person that he wants me to be. Right? That's what I love about Dillard's quote. Um, so, again, it talks about formation. Focuses on formation. John in um, 
Revelation 21 records Jesus saying this. He says, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. He also said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So God's making all things new. We've talked about this before. He's not making all new things. God's not interested in just eliminating this entire church body and just recreating new beings that are perfect in Christ, right? No, his purpose is to transform us, transform us where we are, right? So we can now tell the story and brings about glory to God in a different way because he's created each one of us uniquely and that story uniquely That's what I love about how Brian brings different people up here to preach and teach is that everybody has a story. God's shaping different people in different ways for different purposes. And what I love about this aspect is he's he's creating, he's making all things new. He's not just wiping the board clean and saying, all right, Mike, you've you've had enough. I'm going to create a new Mike in your place. No, there's a process of building up and shaping. And that's what I love about this, this formative process. When you read scripture, uh, especially this Exodus and Numbers story, we see ourselves in the story. As Brian has said, this is our story. We're part of the story, and God hasn't stopped that work. He hasn't stopped that work of, of creating us in a new way, right? Which is exciting. So we also remember scripture tells us that God <clears throat> has plans for us not to harm us, right? But to prosper us. Prosper us not to harm us from Jeremiah 29, 11. So coupled together with this revelation passage, we start to see this purpose of God shaped in a a new, unique way, right? Because he's making all things new, and he has purpose not to harm us, right, but to prosper us. So there is a purpose there. There is an intentionality behind these times of the mundane in, in our lives. And if we're faithful, we're obedient, in these times of the mundane aspects of our life, then we're gonna start to see this building up of our characters and this building up of God's glory in a new, unique way, right? Because he's leading us along like a father does his child, taking our hand saying, come with me, I have something to show you, and I'm gonna teach you along this pathway so you get built up as you go along, right? It's not us just standing at the crossroads saying, well, do I choose uh, earthliness or do I choose godliness? Which, which Which way do I go? right? God's saying, I'm going to help you if you're obedient, if you're willing to sit at my feet and understand that Jesus is a part of this entire thing, right? That we're sitting at his feet and we're saying, teach us. We're willing, even though our situations may be hard, right? But he's calling us into obedience. Even though those situations may be hard, we're willing to be transformed for your glory. Amen? So since God is truly making all things new, then the presence and the purpose of the mundane should, like I said before, pause, make us pause and ask why. Why are these things happening? What is going on currently in this situation? I don't need to have a knee-jerk reaction. I need to take a minute and just say, okay, God, what's happening here? How do I need to respond? Going back to James Rosenquist, the pop artist, um, his process as an artist is to create a narrative, right? We talked about this whole idea of creating a story. And what he's doing is he's reshaping ideas. He's reshaping thoughts so that he can now present that to the viewers that's seeing his artwork to help them along, right? Just like God's doing, to help the audience along to say, maybe you're missing something. Maybe you're missing a piece of beauty that you walk past every single day. And I want you as the artist, to see what you're missing. And God does the same thing with us, right? 
So like I said, he takes our hands and he leads us gently into a greater understanding with him. Going back to the manna, uh, I love this part because God shows up in this unique way. I think it's really cool because none of us have ever looked out the window and all of a sudden seen basically bread falling from the sky unless you watch Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, right? It doesn't happen. But for whatever reason, the Israelites were not super stoked about this whole thing happening. They were like, oh, yeah, it's just another miracle of God, right? Because uh, it's mind-blowing. Now, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, ask you guys the Sunday school answer. Why do you think God was doing this? And when you don't know the answer in Sunday school, Jesus, yes, it was because of Jesus. So we see, looking back on the story now, um, we see that manna is a picture of Jesus coming into the world. We see that God was saying, I have something immediate for you, right? Your, your need for food, I have something immediate to fill that need, but I also have something needed for all of humanity. So it's a foreshadow of what's happening, what's going to happen, and basically it's a picture of Jesus, right? Jesus is the bread of life. Um, you, no man should live on bread alone. All of these different pictures of reliance on God that was pointing to Jesus to say, I'm shaping you. And the Israelites were missing, they were missing the mark, right? They were missing the purpose. Again, it's easier for us to look back on it now with tons of, you know, theology books and um, study Bibles and everything else to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, God was working there. Yeah, this is a picture of God coming. But So, it's powerful, but there's also a precaution. The precaution of the mundane. So, when we were down during the heat of COVID down here at the other building, I was able to preach down there. And I mentioned a story, shared a story about work uh, with the fire department and my work as a paramedic. Um, with a uh, young man, about 27 years old, named Dre. Dre was a heroin user, chronic heroin. Um, we would probably get calls four or five times a month uh, to revive him from some sort of overdose that he had jumped into. So we'd be sitting around the firehouse, and the tones would go off. We'd hear the address, and most of us would say, oh, yeah, that's Dre's house. Let's pack up and go to Dre's house. And it was, it was becoming routine. We would uh, go to his house, the brother would meet us there, his mom was downstairs, completely oblivious to the situation, and uh, brother would lead us up, and there, there was this Dre on the floor, breathing a couple times a minute, uh, overdosed on heroin. So we would do what we do, we'd get him back to this side of the living, and uh, we would kind of have a brief counseling session with him. Dre, you realize that heroin's going to kill you at some point, and he would say, yes, I know. Well, you know, there's programs out there to help you kind of deal with these things. Yes, I know. There's church programs, there's social programs, there's, there's, there's help. You can get help. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know. And it got to the point that I even asked him, I'm like, do you understand what happens when, when your heart stops working? When we come there and we can't get your heart back working because the drugs have, have taken over completely. And he said, yeah, I know. I said, I want you to, I want you to say it. What happens, what happens to your heart? He said, it, it stops working. I said, what happens when your heart stops working? He says, I die. I said, yes, that's right. And this is, this is the road, this is the pathway that you're leading down. Well, about a month and a half ago, we got the call for a cardiac arrest at that, state, at that uh, household, and uh, Dre, was, Dre was dead. He, uh, he didn't make it, and we couldn't do anything to revive him out of, out of the overdose. 27 years old, 28 years old, and he had made decisions based out of 
answers that he was seeking in different places, right? So for Dre, it was one of these ups and downs in life, and he was, he was trying to fill a hole. He was trying to fill a void. And this is where I was thinking back to the, the uh, Alpha video and these, this younger generation, 20s to 30s, that are trying to fill voids. They're trying to find understanding. They're trying to find purpose through the mundane, right? And that's exactly what Dre was trying to do. He's trying to fill a void through the painful circumstances that he found himself in with all sorts of mundane aspects around him. Right? So the only thing that was filling that was heroin. So he was seeking the wrong, the wrong thing. So for Dre, and I think we can kind of tie this back into uh, the Israelites as well, Dre was willing to trade truth for chemicals, right? Just like the Israelites were willing to trade their truth for vegetables, right? It's a big difference between heroin and vegetables, but you, you get the picture. Um, they were willing to trade truth for a lie, right? And they're also willing to trade truth for slavery. The point is, the mundane aspects that he was facing didn't point him to godly answers. It pointed him more to earthly answers. And that's problematic. Because I find that, uh, if I can be honest, there's sometimes in my life where, like I'm talking about the knee-jerk reaction, that I find myself answering things in earthly, earthly ways without turning to God first. Right? Amen? Anybody else in here that, that does that? Right. We find ourselves in situations throughout the week that are just hard, difficult, and maybe the first one that comes up, we're like, okay, we're going to go to God in prayer, we're going to take care of this. And then the second one comes up, and we're like, okay, just give me a minute, let me, let me think about this. And then we reluctantly pray, and then maybe the third time something rough comes up, we say, well, this is just awful, right? Don't we? And then we start, well, what is God doing? What is He doing? I'm a, good, I'm a good person, right? We start complaining. We start grumbling. We start trying to answer godly questions with a humanly response or an earthly response. And that never works. It never works. So the whole purpose is that God, just like the artist, is trying to help us to see that there's a reshaping that needs to happen, right? That it comes down to our viewing, Right? If we're viewing situations, we need to be viewing them differently. How do we view them differently? If we're pressing into God, then we're viewing it from a godly perspective and a godly standard. And he wants us to experience things differently. Right? He doesn't want us to experience things in the earthly. He wants us to experience things from the godly perspective. Because when we are focused on the horizontal in our life, we're never going to be able to see the vertical. Ever. Right? Because we're right here. We're not looking at anything else except for, okay, how can I answer this right here? I know God's over here. I know He's working. I know He's present. But if I'm here and I'm doing all my living and all my spiritual journeying without looking vertically toward God, then what am I doing? Nothing. I'm just walking. I'm just another person that says I believe in Jesus without actually believing and following after Jesus. Right? And that's tough. That's a tough thing to admit because I think if we're honest, we can all look at our weeks and say, ooh, I probably was like that this week. Or there were times last week that I was turning my back on Jesus or turning my back on what God had planned. The other thing, uh, scripture I want to point you to is uh, Colossians 3.2, right? Anybody know that off the top of their head? 
set your minds always on things above, not on things on earth, right? That's such a great picture of kind of what the Israelites should have been doing. They're setting their minds on things that are on earth and not on things that are above, right? Again, the horizontal versus the vertical. But it's not just the Israelites. It's us. We do the same thing as we talked about, right? Sometimes we're not interested in formation. We're interested in just a quick fix to our problem so we can move on and get back to living life, right? But that's not what God wants. God wants us that, he wants our long obedience into these situations to shape us and grow us in new exciting ways because we're being filled. Whether we like it or not, we're being filled. Whether we're being filled with earthliness, right, and the answers that come from not seeking after the Lord, or we're being filled with His purposes, His Spirit, to seek after His glory alone. So we're being filled. So I would ask you, what are you being filled with? Right? Our decisions fill us with something. Is it, is it Him? Or is it the world around us? In closing, artists like James Rosenquist, um, and myself included, I would say that they spend their lives trying to recreate a story for the viewer, right? To create images, to create um, a sense of excitement and magnificence out of the mundane periods of our life. To put that down on canvas, to put it down on paper so that the viewers, as we talked about, can experience things in a new way. See things that are commonplace in a new light, right? That's the, nor- the narrative that they're trying to portray. But what we see with God is he's doing the same thing, but his purpose is for us to not see the, uh, necessarily the tree, right, that we may have missed, but that we're missing Jesus in every single circumstance. What the Lord is trying to do, he's trying to reshape our minds and reshape our hearts so that we're seeing Jesus in every circumstance. That's the thing we're missing. And I think when we wrestle through that, we find that the magnificence ends up taking over and we don't even see the mundane anymore. When we're pressing into Jesus, we're pressing into godliness over earthliness, we start to find that the mundane aspects that we once were complaining about go away. And we're not defining ourselves by the mundane, but the magnificent. Why is this so? How can it be? Because we're pausing and we're saying, okay, God, what is the situation that's in front of me? What might you be changing in my heart or my life to make me see these things differently? And that's really the big takeaway here. And all of that points to Jesus is the, is the thing that we should be seeking after. And mundane goes away. So if we really start to see and focus on that aspect that the mundane is, is, is kind of eliminating and God is shaping us in new exciting ways, um, we start to see that the Israelites, they were willing to trade basically meat, right? They were trade, willing to trade um, this idea of earthliness versus godliness for meat and a few vegetables. But don't we do it for a lot less, right? We're willing to trade Jesus in many circumstances that we find ourselves in for a lot less than meat and vegetables, right? For personal safety, for... Uh, personal enjoyment, right? To not have a dull moment. How many times do you see somebody at a train station or a bus stop and the uncomfortableness of silence is so bad that the phone comes out, 
right? I'm not going to start bashing on tech. That's not why I'm here. But just as an object lesson to say, we can't go 10 seconds without having our lives filled with something, right? So we're choosing that to fill our time apart from God to actually use those situations to point us to Him. Because quite honestly, you might be at a train station pulling out your phone and who's next to you? Somebody suffering from something. And now we've missed out on that opportunity that God may be prompting us to respond in. So we talked about pausing. We talked about kind of taking a second and asking God why these things are, are happening to us. So in closing, um, if we start to feel that we're entering into these times of grumbling and complaining and we're finding that things are just mundane and they're not magnificent as we talked about and that we just don't feel God's working in it, then maybe it's us. Maybe we're not seeing the way that God is wanting us to see. So if we pause, we ask these questions, is this from God? Is this a situation that God is going to use or is using in my life currently to redirect my thoughts, to reshape uh, how I'm living right now to be able to see His magnificence in a greater way? The second question would be, does it have purpose? The situations that we find ourselves in, exciting or not, do they have purpose? And does that purpose point us closer to a better understanding of Jesus or does it point us away to what the world has to offer? Third question would be, how, if this does have purpose, how can I press into these situations in a greater way for God to use me in a greater way, for His glory to be exemplified in a greater way? And the fourth would be, if I'm choosing not to do this, am I turning away from the plan that He has for me? Right? Because, like I said, we're all being filled with something. We're either being filled to be more like Jesus or we're being filled with what the world tells us is, is important to be filled with. So am I purposely turning away from God in these times and am I missing out on His glory and His sanctifying for me? These questions start to help us to see that every situation that God puts us in has a way that uh, shapes us and defines us, right? Sanctifies us, and it's all for His purpose and His glory. So as we go into communion, I want you guys to think about that aspect of it. How am I being shaped and how is God sanctifying me? I'm going to take a few moments just to silently pray, and then I'm going to pray and close us before we do t- uh, communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for all the ways that you're shaping and creating a people, not only from the stories of Scripture where we see that the Israelites are being formed, but just the way that you're forming us and you're shaping us, that you're creating us into a people that want to serve you, that want to lift your name on high. And I know there's things in our lives that uh, distract us from that. There's things in our life that we choose to uh, ignore as being from you and we quickly find a response, quickly find an answer to fill for all of our problems. Lord, let that not be so. Let us to look to you for all of our answers, all of our needs. And as you're shaping us, help us to shape us into people who see 
who see and feel your words, who are being shaped into somebody and a people and a community and a body who seek after Jesus alone in all circumstances. So, Lord, as we think about the magnificent and the mundane, Lord, I pray that the mundane aspects would just go away and turn into magnificence, that you would change our viewpoint for these things. Lord, that the scales in our hearts would be lifted, Lord, as we hear your words today. We know that your word says that it's not going to come back void. And I just pray for um, just an awakening in our hearts as we go out this week and serve you, that we would be able to bring your light, your love, and your answers and your magnificence into the world. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.